When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary. Because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound Off. We want to get people back to work. We've got to be paving the pathways. It is up to Congress to kind of set the rules of the road, but you have to wonder what Facebook's final objective is in that. Bloomberg Sound Off. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. If they just simply reopened the economy and returned everyone back to work, we would be, I think, in a better situation today. Washington may squander its best chance to make long overdue investments in our infrastructure. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It's not often a headline stops Washington in its tracks, but that was the case today as we learned of the death of Colin Powell whose career, of course, impacted Washington on so many levels, from the military to politics to diplomacy. We'll discuss his legacy ahead with Michael Chertoff, the former Homeland Security Secretary in the George W. Bush administration. We'll also get into it with us on some of the biggest threats facing America today, some of which were beginning to metastasize as Colin Powell was confirmed as Secretary of State. The panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us for the hour as lawmakers return to town. They're back in the bubble today and tomorrow. Senate, then House. Senator Joe Manchin shows more of its cards on reconciliation, and the White House tries to seize the moment on infrastructure. We'll talk about it all later as well with Democratic strategist Jim Kessler, co-founder of Third Way. So many of us stopped this morning when the headline crossed the terminal. Phones were buzzing Colin Powell had died. The first black secretary of state was 84. Complications from COVID-19, his family said on Facebook, as Powell was also fighting cancer. Listeners of this broadcast do not need to be told of a man who helped to shape multiple administrations and U.S. foreign policy, and his legacy is one that will be written about for many years. That is where we begin today with Michael Chertoff, founder of the Chertoff Group and the former Secretary of Homeland Security, who joins us on the line now. Secretary, welcome to Bloomberg Radio. Glad to be on. What did you think, what did you feel when you heard the news today? Well, I can't say I was shocked because I knew that uh, Secretary Powell has was battling a, a significant illness. Um but I was sad because it was really the passing of an era. He was a giant in the national security community and also a model of integrity. And uh, the fact that someone like that is not around anymore means we're all the poorer. So many people urged him to dig deeper into politics. He, of course, chose the route of diplomacy 
But I wonder what your thoughts are on the decisions he made over the course of his career, going from the military to politics to diplomacy. So many people urged him to run for president. Why did he choose not to? Well, I don't know him well enough to know why he chose not to. I mean, it, I'm sure it was a decision taken jointly with his family. Yeah. Um, and I completely understand that he found public service uh, important and appealing, but didn't want to get into the electoral process, which requires a certain kind of temperament. But uh, certainly in terms of his contribution, both in, in the military as national security advisor and as secretary of state, he achieved as much as you could possibly imagine in terms of serving the country. Did he deserve the criticism he received for arguing that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction? You know, I think he, at uh, some point later, <clears throat> acknowledged that he regretted having yeah. relied upon what turned out to be faulty intelligence. He did. In making uh, that, that public uh, argument. Um, and I also think one of the comments he made, which I still quote from time to time, is if you broke it, you bought it. Meaning that you got to understand the consequences of your actions in the long term as well as in the short term. Secretary Chertoff, earlier today I listened to then General Powell's remarks during his Senate confirmation hearing uh, to be Secretary of State. This is January 2001. He talked about the threats facing America at that time, including China and the best way that we should manage them. And I was fascinated to hear his take on this on China from 20 years ago. I'd love to play his quick remarks for you and get your reaction. Here's what he said. China is a competitor, a potential regional rival, but also a trading partner willing to cooperate in areas where our strategic interests overlap. China is all of these things, but China is not an enemy, and our challenge is to keep it that way by enmeshing them in the rule of law, by exposing them to the powerful forces of a free enterprise system and democracy, so they can see that this is the proper direction in which to move. When you fast forward 20 years to the Biden administration, and we're hearing almost the same terms, this is competition, not conflict. I wonder how you think Colin Powell then helped to frame our existing relationship now with China. Well, I think he recognized that we have to have a balanced relationship with China. <clears throat> we have to have no illusions about those areas in which they are competitors and rivals, uh, but it doesn't mean that we can't also have elements, even as we had with the Soviet Union, where there's a mutual interest in cooperating. I will say the part of Secretary Powell's remarks that now seems uh, perhaps a little overly optimistic was his view that engagement with the free enterprise system would lead China to become more and more deeply embedded with Western values. Yes, right. Although there was a period of time when that looked like it was happening under Deng Xiaoping, uh, and maybe Hu Jintao, uh, President Xi has made it quite clear that he's reversing direction. And he certainly is not fulfilling the optimistic hopes that were articulated by Colin Powell 20 years ago. You were the nation's second Secretary of Homeland Security. I wonder if I could ask you what you consider some of the threats against America to be now. You're talking today at the Milken Institute global conference about building trust in an age of distrust. That's that's quite a title. Is China going to be a threat in the new year and going forward? And, and I, I'd like to ask you about a couple of others, but how about China? Sure. Are we dealing with well, China I, the right way? I think we've firmed up our, our approach to China, which I think is important. And we recognize that the Chinese, for example, have not necessarily 
treating economic issues and military issues as being separate. They use their economic power to leverage their national security position. And I think we're now starting to recognize we need to respond in kind. Yeah. I think the Chinese are not a, a an imminent military threat to us, but there is a concern that between what they do in cyberspace and what they are threatening with respect to Taiwan, that we could find ourselves embroiled in a more contentious uh, arrangement with them. Well, waking up to news of this hypersonic missile is a whole other matter as well. Uh, how concerned are you that we did not know about it in August? And are we going to see a, a world in which China has a weapon that we don't have? Well, I mean, I, I think, again, um, I don't know what the intelligence community knew, but I, the Chinese are clearly and, and publicly making the claim that they intend to outcompete us in areas of technology that have tremendous military and intelligence significance. That includes not only hypersonics, but artificial intelligence and other kinds of tools like quantum mechanics. Mm-hmm. So we need to make sure, again, we are using our considerable technological uh, innovation to begin to make sure we are competitive and exceeding them in these areas, or we will find ourselves in a disadvantage. The White House, through its uh, press secretary, Jen Psaki, says the U.S. is concerned. Does this administration have the right policies to deal with China? I think that, that they are um, moving to a what I think is a a much better strategy than the prior administration. Uh, the prior administration had a let's get tough yeah. strategy, which was not bad in certain respects, but it's extended to, to things that had nothing to do with national security. And it was more of a performance than it was a real policy. I think the current administration realizes we will have to engage in certain areas like climate change and, and even pandemic health But in other areas like human rights, we're not going to simply give way to the Chinese, and we are certainly not going to let them claim dominance over the South China Sea, which I think we most recently made clear through our submarine deal with Australia. Mm -hmm. You spent many years at Homeland trying to fend off the threat of terrorism. I wonder if you are worried that the U.S. is in greater danger following the withdrawal from Afghanistan or if we should be looking in other parts of the world. I think I think we've got a number of challenges from the, in the terrorist area. I do think the withdrawal from Afghanistan may embolden some jihadi groups to believe that they can again relaunch attacks. Although, uh, you know, we've been very successful in keeping international terrorists out of the U.S. What we've seen in terms of jihadi terrorism in the U.S. has been inspired at a relatively small scale. Mm-hmm. I'm more concerned about domestic violent extremism, particularly right-wing extremism, culminating in what we saw on January 6th. I don't think the, the, the grievances there and the um, ideologies have, have dissipated. And we have a former president who is uh, encouraging and inciting continuation of this nonsensical lie that somehow the election was stolen. And that's, I think, where we're going to see potential terrorist threats uh, in the next near term. Interesting you didn't point to our southern border, as some do, in in framing that answer. Are you worried about another attack on Washington? or How do you even fend off such a decentralized threat? Well, I think what's going to have to happen is within the boundaries of the law, we're going to have to be uh, putting out efforts to collect information about potential attacks. And what we've seen is a lot of these extremists boast about what they're going to do. They don't really hide it. Uh, 
Uh, but we need to be alert to that. We need to work with state and local governments and communities to get early warning about people who may look like they're moving in the direction of doing something violent or terrorist, terroristic, uh, based on an ideology. Many thanks to Michael Chertoff, the founder of the Chertoff Group, former Secretary of Homeland Security, joining us on the Monday edition here of Sound On. Helps to set the table for the panel coming up as we assemble the panel to talk about Powell and some of the threats we just discussed with Michael Chertoff. Recalling Secretary Powell addressing the U.N. Security Council on the threat of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. It was 2003 when Colin Powell held up the vial and said this. When Iraq finally admitted having these weapons in 1995, the quantities were vast. Less than a teaspoon of dry anthrax, a little bit about this amount. This is just about the amount of a teaspoon. Less than a teaspoonful of dry anthrax in an envelope shut down the United States Senate in the fall of 2001. This forced several hundred people to undergo emergency medical treatment and killed two postal workers just from an amount just about this quantity. Moment that hung over him for many years, and we'll talk about it ahead with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Classic panel on a Monday. We'll check traffic and the markets on the way. I'm Joe Matthew, and this is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Colin Powell was a trailblazer, the nation's first black chairman of the Joint Chiefs, White House National Security Advisor, and Secretary of State. But like any long career in public service, his was complicated. And Secretary Powell was heavily criticized for helping to make the case against Iraq when it came to weapons of mass destruction, as you just heard the sound from that now very well-known meeting before the U.N. Security Council just now before the break. And Powell even suggested regret to that end later in life. And that's where we start with the panel here. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us for the hour. What are your thoughts on that, Jeannie, when you measure a man by the totality of his career or a woman for that matter? It, it's, it's not that we can ignore these more controversial moments. 
That's right. And there were some controversial moments. The one you just, uh, you know, referenced, um, there were others, including his work in the Miley massacre and also his work as a national security advisor to Ronald Reagan. But but that said, he was also a man who, when he thought that he had done something wrong, he took responsibility for it. I mean, let's not forget he resigned in 2004 when the evidence that the weapons of mass destruction statement was not true came to fruition and he acknowledged that he was wrong about that so he was somebody who when he did wrong acknowledged that he was also you know an incredibly humble person i mean you listen back to some of his statements over time this was somebody who repeatedly said i'm from the bronx i didn't go to west point i went to the city university of new york these were things that he said over and over again to encourage other not just african-american but other young people in the united states to that they too could serve in public life and they could rise to the level that he did. Rick Davis, you encountered uh, Colin Powell as a general and uh, later as a secretary on a lot of occasions. Uh, I'm sure you remember his endorsement of Barack Obama in October of 2008. What were, what were your thoughts this morning? You know, I, I hate to see a, a person like uh, uh, Colin Powell uh, go. He was such a, a important figure for most of the last portion of the 20th century. I mean, uh, uh, Secretary Chertoff mentioned it's a it's a passing of an era, and I think that's correct. I mean, you know, the era that Colin Powell grew up in in both the uh, in both the you know, military and all the accomplishments and the things, as Jeannie said, that he saw and participated in, but also in public life as a civilian. And I also remember him looking at running for president at a time when I was helping Bob Dole. And I thought, oh, my God, I hope he doesn't run for president. That'll screw us up because he was uh, he was an incredibly popular figure. Why do you think he chose not to run? I just asked Michael Chertoff that he he didn't he didn't dare to answer. But what's your thought on that, Rick? Would he have won? You know, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, nobody really knows what it's like in a presidential campaign until they get punched in the face. And, you know, that's 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 something that he spared himself. And I think it's probably wise. I mean, he was not a public man. I mean, he he uh, led a pretty humble life, as Jeannie said. And uh, and and frankly, I think probably Alma had something to do with that. I think, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, oh, you're going to make me go through this again. <laughs> and uh, and I think that uh, I think that he chose a private life instead of uh, instead of joining the circus. So um, I think I, and I think that was probably the right decision for him. Uh, I think that uh, uh, after uh, uh, the uh, uh, time that he had in the, the Bush administration to then uh, join the Obama campaign was a turning point for him. You know, he wanted to shed, you know, the uh, uh, Bush administration and some of the uh, some of the controversy that he had there. And I think that was probably a smart decision for him in that regard. We 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 would have appreciated his support for John McCain, who he liked and 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 saw common cause with. But we totally understood uh, what he was trying to accomplish in in that regard. That was a moment for sure. Uh, I ticked through some of the threats facing America uh, with Michael Chertoff, including China. And it was something that Colin Powell was talking about back in 2001. Fast forward to today and we have this news of the hypersonic missile uh, that apparently was launched, orbited the Earth back in August. We're just now learning about it. The, The Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, was asked about that today. Here's what he said. We watch closely China's development of uh, 
of uh, armament and, and advanced capabilities uh, and systems that will only increase uh, tensions in the region. So we're watching. I get that part, Jeannie. When do we need to do something about it? I think yesterday, if not back when, uh, as you rightly mentioned, and it's fascinating to hear, Colin Powell was talking about this 20 years ago, two decades ago. Um, you know, I, I was fascinated that that Secretary Chertoff said to you about, amongst other things, China's lead on quantum technology. This is not something we hear a lot about in the United States. It's not something we talk a lot about. But there are many, many analysts who say once they get the lead, and many people believe they have it already, we are going to be, have to be able to defend ourselves against that by 2022 is the latest number I saw and we are not positioned to do that yet and the impact on our ability to secure ourselves will be you know sorely um, sorely and gravely uh, open to attack from China once they get to that point Rick I don't know if you have something in 30 seconds or less but is there any chance we already have this rocket ourselves uh, I hope so was that 30 seconds? I think, wow, well, <laughs> you're gone already? Rick Davis, stay there. He's with us for the hour. Rick and Jeannie, the classic Bloomberg politics panel for us on Sound On. Joe Manchin shows more of his cards. We'll talk about it with Jim Kessler next. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1 to New York, Bloomberg 1130 to Boston. Bloomberg 1061 to San Francisco. Bloomberg 960 to the country. Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. Joe Manchin making headlines again. It is Monday, after all. As I read on the terminal, Manchin's opposition may doom clean power plan Biden backs and another. Manchin cast doubt on October 31 deadline to act on Biden's agenda. All this as President Biden calls more meetings for tomorrow with moderates and progressives from Capitol Hill. We'll talk about the way forward next with Jim Kessler, co-founder of Third Way. As always, and thank you for joining us on Bloomberg Sound On. Should be an interesting day tomorrow as we watch everyone come back into town. For those of us who live here inside the bubble, it's always fun to to see the big return. Busy day at National Airport as lawmakers in the Senate come back today. Tomorrow they come back in the House, and you know who's waiting for them is President Biden. As we heard earlier from White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, he's calling members of the House together tomorrow. Here's what she said. He spoke, as I think some of you reported this morning with Representative Jayapal uh, at the White House, and we'll have a number of additional conversations by phone with members of both chambers uh, and uh, who also run the gamut in terms of their views uh, as we proceed through the course of the afternoon. Tomorrow, he will host two different meetings with House members here at the White House, one with moderates and one with progressive members. Uh, we're encouraged uh, at the by the accelerated pace of talks referring to the urgency uh, of the moment, even though we have been talking about this for months. As I read on the terminal, Senator Manchin has told the White House and congressional leaders that he will not support including a clean power provision in the Democrat spending package. This is reconciliation, putting at risk a central element of the legislation designed to fight climate change. This would be a deal breaker for the aforementioned Pramila Jayapal, who met this morning with President Biden at the White House. 
And so here we are on another Monday, and it does appear that Senator Joe Manchin is still holding the keys. Joining us to talk about it, Jim Kessler, co-founder of Third Way, a Democratic strategist and a longtime creature on Capitol Hill, former legislative policy director for Senator Chuck Schumer, who's having the time of his life right now, Jim. I mean creature in the best way, of course, but I wonder what your thoughts are on everything that we put together here. If Joe Biden is meeting with members of the House tomorrow, I met with Pramila Jayapal today, is he simply trying to prepare them for what is acceptable in the Senate, even though they know this already? Well, look, I I expect that ultimately there's going to be a reconciliation bill that gets to Joe Biden's desk. It's going to be well short of that three point five trillion number that, you know, is that was in the budget resolution. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you talked earlier about Joe Manson saying, well, he didn't think things could get done by October 31st. Yeah, there isn't really a hard and fast deadline to get this done. October 31st is when the surface transportation authorization ends, but you can mm-hmm. extend that temporarily. So, you know, you can slow walk this thing if you're a negotiator. My view is the time for slow walking is, is we're close to the end of that. This is where the negotiations are intensifying. I think Biden is doing the right thing by meeting with the different factions of the party. There is distrust between those factions. That distrust is earned, but I think that distrust can turn into trust and we can get to the finish line. Why is this the time now, though, knowing that the president has already met with those same groups, has already met with the mansions and cinemas in the Senate? We even we even went for a vote. There were two nights in a row. Speaker Pelosi said they, they were planning to make a vote on the bipartisan infrastructure deal. That still, Jim, hasn't happened. Right. So... Let's be realistic here. Mm -hmm. The fate of the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the reconciliation package, those fates are tied together. It doesn't mean they have to be voted on the same day, but there is enough distrust that progressives need to hear some certainty that a reconciliation bill will get to the president's desk, that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema and other some other centrist Democrats, particularly in the House, are going to support it before they're willing to get on the bus with the infrastructure bill. So these next few days are to determine whether that infrastructure bill can move before October 31st or, you know, whether we're going to have to wait because there's still distrust on reconciliation. Reconciliation will not be done by October 31st. That is a certainty. Will it be done by the end of the year? It should be. The, the reason why it can't be done by October 31st is you have to reach an agreement, and then you have to put a lot of that agreement into legislative language, and then all the members need to look at it, and that yes. just takes more than 10 to 14 days. You Never know, mind a, scoring and all the rest of it, Jim, but as someone who works exactly. for Senator Chuck Schumer, you think the senator, the majority leader, is getting a little tired of Nancy Pelosi throwing down these deadlines one after the other? I mean, we didn't have to set deadlines on anything until now. This could be, this could just be a going concern, an ongoing debate. But every time you throw down the the deadline, it makes it, and you don't you don't get something done. It looks like a failure. Well, the House has its own pressures, and the Senate has its own unique pressures, and then Biden's got his own unique pressures there. Yeah. The three of these leaders, Pelosi, Biden, and Schumer, they know each other extraordinarily well. Between them, they have about 95 years of Washington experience. And 
they know how to land these planes. There are recalcitrant members. You know, at this point, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema are not ready to sign on. It seems like there's been some movement in the right direction from both Manchin and Cinema, but not sure how close that is. And, you know, thus far, Senator Manchin and Cinema, they've been willing to wait. They're saying we're in no hurry. I think everybody else is more in a hurry. But, um, you know, so some of the differences is not just will the planes land, but when are they going to land? When you hear Joe Manchin, though, say he's not going to support the the climate uh, portion of reconciliation, that would that would help to uh, to to clean up the power grid. I mean, that's a non-starter for the, the progressives who've already been to the White House for a meeting. They've already they've already said their piece on this. So I guess, Jim, why would any of this change now? No one should be surprised at what Joe Manchin's position is on that specific clean energy provision. Mm -hmm. There are other ways as a substitute to have clean energy provisions that would be a lot friendlier to, you know, the, um, the energy interests, which include coal in West Virginia, in Joe Manchin's state. So we're going to have to look at those things. And then there's other climate provisions in reconciliation that Manchin is perfectly happy with. I hope they come out of these meetings so we learn a little more. Jim Cussler, we thank you. We'll bring the panel in on this next. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So some big meetings tomorrow with President Biden. Moderates and progressives from the House each get their own session. Even as we learn, some of the climate provisions in the Democrats' reconciliation plan will not likely be able to pass the Senate, thanks to Joe Manchin at least. But the White House says there is new urgency under these negotiations, as we were just discussing with Jim Kessler, something Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked about several times in today's briefing. The president proposed these plans back in the spring. We have been, uh, he has participated in dozens and dozens of calls, of meetings, of engagements with members to hear their viewpoints, to understand where they're coming from, to reach consensus. Uh, and we are at a point where we we have, feel an urgency to move things forward. And the uh, the pickup of meetings is a reflection of that. The pickup of meetings, knowing today President Biden met with Pramila Jayapal, the member of the House and chair of the House Progressive Caucus. Interesting, though, to hear that term urgency repeatedly and, and hearing what sounded like frustration or at least a losing a sound of losing patience, maybe in Jen Psaki's voice there. Let's get into it with the panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis back with us for the rest of the hour. Rick, what happens in these meetings tomorrow? And could this be a case of the boy who cried wolf? 
you know, I got to believe that they're starting to come to grips with, you know, a number that they th think they can uh, get by in both in the Senate uh, with the moderates and with the with the progressives in the House. And so I, I hope they're taking the time to use to knit together now policies and timetables on how to spend the money that they think can become a reconciliation bill. Uh, if they're not at that stage at this point, I would be surprised if uh, if they could get any deadline that's currently uh, yeah, being talked about, whether it's the uh, end of October for the uh, for the uh, uh, infrastructure bill, or or really even trying to get to the end of the year, because these positions are, from what I can tell, only getting hardened. Right. Um, and uh, and so if 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 they're talking policies and timetables, that would be an ideal outcome for them. You know, tomorrow if they're still talking about. Joe Manchin and being upset and and he keeps poking the tiger. He's got his child tax credit. He wants to rework. I mean, mm -hmm. he's in everybody's knickers right now. It's almost as if he's trying to tube the whole thing. I mean, at some point, someone has to look at that and say, what is he really trying to accomplish here? You do wonder here, Jeannie, as Senator Manchin, of course, from the coal state, West Virginia, is not in favor of the Clean Electricity Performance Program. That's $150 billion, according to the terminal. And to Rick's point, uh, the child tax credit, child care, was supposed to be a huge portion of uh, this this mission that, that progressive Democrats were on in crafting the reconciliation plan. He says cap it at a certain income level for households. And uh, there's going to have to be, you know, some testing involved as well. You're going to have to be looking for work or employed. These are deal breakers for a lot of the progressives that Joe Biden will be meeting with tomorrow, Jeannie. They are. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around Rick's comment about knickers. So I'm going to <laughs> leave that aside to my friend Rick Davis. Um, you know, I think, you know, the epitome of this battle is what happened over the weekend as Bernie Sanders published this editorial in Manchin's hometown newspaper. And Manchin really, really hit him back. And he said this isn't the first time an out-of-stater has tried to tell West Virginians what's best for them. So there is real tension here just between those two. And then as you and Rick were just talking, about it expands and this is not just about a top line number and that's what I think is really become clear in the last you know few weeks few days it's not just about can they get down to where Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema are comfortable with at 1.5 or 2 trillion this is also about the specifics of these policies and the clean energy is just the start of those and yeah. we see the White House responding to that as they have to but the question now is is that response going to be palatable to the progressive so the White House is once again walking this this tightrope between the progressives and the moderates, and they're going to be meeting, as you said, tomorrow to try to iron this out. I disagree just slightly with our friend Jim Kessler. You know, he's right. These are self-imposed deadlines at the end of October. But Democrats are very, very fearful that if they don't get something out and they lose the Virginia governor's race, which they could, that their legislative agenda may be shot as a result of that. So you've got October. 31st. You've got the Virginia governor's race. You've got December 3rd. There's just a number of deadlines approaching. And I think that's the frustration you hear in Jen Psaki and other people in the White House to get this thing moving. They're not real announced deadlines here, Rick. They're kind of gray deadlines. But uh, but but to Jeannie's point, you've got the Virginia governor's race. There seems to be an eagerness to get something done so it doesn't become a liability in Virginia, whether or not that's realistic. But also, this idea of, of Joe Manchin uh, shooting down the clean electricity performance program, 
on the eve, practically, of Joe Biden's trip to to the the COP uh, conference in Scotland, he's not making life easy uh, for the commander in chief here, is he? He's not making life easy for the commander in chief. And in this uh, COP26 is an important milestone in mm-hmm. global climate uh, management. But it's what's interesting about all this is this was all embedded in the memo that he and Schumer signed in right. July. There's nothing new here. He complained about the, the clean energy pro- portions of the bill. He complained about the child tax credit. I mean, he's just making good on everything he pointed out. Uh, with these folks back in July, kept secret from the progressives in the House who are now really upset internally with their leadership because none of this was addressed when they had time maybe to work it out. What's fascinating to me is the Republicans could not get into the news today if their lives depended upon it. I mean, this is all Democrat on Democrat crime, and, and all the Republicans have to do is take a back seat and watch it happen. Should we assume then that, Jeannie, that President Biden is going to take a, a different posture in these meetings? You can't you can't just have the same meetings you had two weeks ago when this led to nothing. Remember, that was the same week uh, that he was heading up to the Hill and we were promised votes and none of it happened. Is this a, OK, guys, it's time now. Get it together. What's the deadline? What do you need? We're not leaving this room or this virtual room until we have this hammered out. I think so. Look, at we are just 13 days away from this October 31st deadline. We have the December 3rd deadline. You have the debt limit and you've got the Virginia governor's race. All of these deadlines, I think most people agree that by the end of the year, this thing has to happen. So the president, I think, is going to have to show some real leadership here. He is perfectly placed to do that. He has lived in the Senate for many, many decades. He knows how this works, but he's got to choose and he's got to lead Democrats along a pathway where they can come to some agreement. But it's not easy because you can't lose anybody in the Senate and you only have, what, three or four that you could lose in the House. So what he chooses to do, whether to go smaller, to, you know, uh, to, uh, uh, you know, adjust in terms of climate, child tax credit, you know, we haven't even talked about the Hyde Amendment. That's one that sticks in my mind that Manchin raised. I don't know how they get over that. So all of those things, the president is the only person who is really in a position to lead them together. And I think the real message is going to have to be, if we don't get something, we will all sink. And I think that is a a realistic view that he's got to share with them. And they've got to get their heads around getting less than what they wanted in all cases. Rick, if I heard you right, you're of the mind that, that they may be further down the road here that in fact the president may be on the verge of something or he wouldn't be calling these meetings you can correct me there but if 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 that's the case what role does he play tomorrow and what does he need to say to the rank and file oh i think he's been very actively engaged all weekend i mean uh i think they've been talking to the various uh, organizations that are impacted uh outside of politics you know the the environmental organizations who then can go back to their constituencies in congress and say hey you know, we've got other things in the in the uh, in the in the infrastructure bill that are good. Uh, if, if we're going to lose this clean energy mandate, then there are other things within the reconciliation bill that we support. And I think it's everybody uh, basically trying to create this uh, echo chamber within the Democratic caucus, especially in the House of Representatives, that gives them comfort that they can still get a win here 
and 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 go out with a with a with a with their heads held high and and I think that is a uh, important stage that we're in right now is how do they make this look like they're not in the process of self self immolation right where they are actually going to get something out of this that they can all show up at the White House get signed and declare victory well is that the way progressives are are feeling about this genie or are they as dug in as they were a couple of weeks ago, I asked you that, you know, at the same time, when's the Cornhusker kickback? When are the deals that <laughs> that people are going to hate Washington for that make this this piece of uh, legislation happen? Uh, you know, and, and the Cornhusker kickback is one of my favorite examples of this. But, you know, you can't have that until you actually see the legislation. And that's one of the things we per- forget about that is, you know, we're talking, you know, sort of this overarching big number, what sort of big policies may be in or not. But it's going to, you know, for a Cornhusker kickback, you're going to have to have, you know, reporters like yourself. You're going to have to have people looking to see what does this text say? Mm-hmm. We aren't even close to that at this point. And that, I think, tells you why somebody like Jim or other people are saying there's no way they make this by Halloween. So Cornhusker kickbacks, those are going to be way down the road. And that's another thing Democrats have to watch for, because if people don't think there are deals being had here, that's the only way they're going to get this thing done. They're going to have to make those deals. And those deals are going to be ripe for criticism from Republicans and others as they go into the election year. What does Joe Manchin want, Rick? Is it? I mean, as simple as that, what could they give him? Read the memo. <laughs> That's what he wants. He wants, you know, $1.5 trillion and he wants those policies excluded. And an end to quantitative easing. I don't think we can do that, though, Rick. Yeah, well, pals up for reappointment. Anything's possible. <laughs> Anything is possible, says a true creature of Washington. That's Rick Davis. Jeannie Shanzano as well. The panel, thanks to both of you. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.